you guys here tonight. Um, if you are new to RUF, uh, again, my name is Lucas Dorado, and I'm the campus minister here. This is my fourth year at UConn, and every now and then I make a point of saying that you know, I love getting to know you guys. I love spending time with you over coffee or lunch or somewhere else on campus, uh, hearing your story, um, staying up on what's going on in your life. So please, uh, you know, if we haven't talked in a while, let's talk. Let's get together. And uh, also wanted to encourage you guys to get to know one another uh, because what we ultimately want to be here is a community that embodies uh, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ that we talk about each week. Um, this semester, if you haven't been here, we're doing something that might seem strange. We're going through a book of the Old Testament uh, bit by bit and studying it. And uh, we're, it's the book of Exodus, um, mostly about Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And so we've been going through the, in the last couple of weeks passages from Exodus. And uh, just by way of background to our passage tonight, um, I've covered this a couple times, but it's worth uh, covering again. The Bible is a coherent story from start to finish. And when the Bible begins, God creates a good world. And very quickly, God's people turn on him and the world becomes scary and sad as a result. And the rest of the Bible is about God saving the world that he created. It's him pursuing his people that turned on him. And the way he goes about saving the world is he chooses someone to show the rest of the world about him and what he's doing. And so in the book of Genesis, we see him choosing Abraham. And he tells Abraham, he gives him this promise. He says, you are going to have descendants more than you could ever believe, and I'm going to bring you to a good land where you can represent me to the world, the promised land. And so Abraham has descendants, and he has Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and uh, where it eventually leads God's people, though, is to Egypt, where they're enslaved. And they're actually enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt and until God appoints Moses to bring them out of slavery. And so last week we looked at God calling Moses and saying, I want you to be the one who goes to Pharaoh and tells him to let my people out of Egypt. And so uh, prior to this passage that we're looking at tonight, Moses actually goes to Pharaoh and he says, you know, we need to leave. God has called us out of slavery and we're going to go. And Pharaoh says, no, Moses, in fact, since you did this, I'm going to make the work harder for the Israelites. So you'll have to do the same amount of work, but I'm going to give you less supplies to do it. And so it's just backbreaking labor uh, more than ever for God's people. And so they all complain to Moses, and they're like, what, are you, what have you done, Moses? And Moses uh, complains to God. And so what we have now is God's answer to Moses. So let me read it for us. Uh, Exodus chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people, of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll discuss our passage a little bit. Heavenly Father, we don't often know what to make of your word, and... uh, especially a passage that's from very long ago. Uh, We pray that you would guide us as we look at it. We pray that you would shape the way we think uh, through it. And most importantly, we pray that you would change our hearts to make us uh, different. You would use your word to set us free. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, that little girl back there making noises is my daughter, Margot. She is six months old. As you can see, she is lovely. And uh, this week, Margot was scheduled to get her six-month shots uh, because we don't want her to contract diseases that have been cured long, long ago. We are having her vaccinated. And uh, there's all kinds of rounds of shots. If you have a, There's two-month shots. There's four-month shots. And there's six-month shots, and I don't know what else there are. There's like four at a time. And it's really brutal as a parent to take your kid to get shots. And you know, one of the reasons it's brutal is because it throws her off for the whole day. A lot of times she's just like not feeling well for the rest of the day. And, uh, and it's especially brutal because she screams during it. And she flails around, and it's the worst thing in the world. To, and she, you know, she's looking at us, wondering, you know, we probably wondering, like, why are you allowing this to happen? And she flails around, and it's off. It's horrible to be in the room for that. And I want you to, I want us to consider that tonight as we think about God's people and slavery in Egypt. Um, think about what's going on with Margot as she gets her shots, because shots are horrible, undeniably horrible, but uh, without question, the more she resists and flails around, it's actually worse. If she were to resist so much that she didn't get the shots, it would be ultimately way worse, uh, because she would then be at risk for all kinds of horrible diseases. Uh, the tech, this passage that we're looking at tonight is about trusting God. It's about trusting when our every inclination is to just flail around, uh, to resist what he's doing in our lives, to resist where he wants to take us or what he wants us to do. And the, what God is communicating to his people in this passage is, 
you need to trust me. Life is only good when we trust God. And in our story, there's actually a couple levels of audiences in the story. Because first of all, there's the people of Israel in slavery that Moses is dealing with. And they're going like, Moses, what are you doing to us? Uh, God, what are you doing to us? But then the book of Exodus was actually written later than this. So this happened, and then the book of Exodus was written after God's people had been let out of slavery. And before they got to the promised land, they wandered for 40 years, and then they were told to conquer the land. So the book of Exodus is written to people that are really weary from wandering in the desert for 40 years and wondering how on earth God is actually going to bring anything good out of that. And the final level of audience is us. I'm sure you can think of situations in your life where you find it hard to trust that God is being good to you. And there may be some situations where, in fact, not only does it feel like not, God's not being good to you, but it feels like, he, like being connected to God is actually making your circumstances worse. Following God can often feel like, you know, the, it might seem good at first, like a good idea, but where he takes us might seem like, God, where it seems like my life has gotten worse because of you. How can we trust God's plan when it seems like he's making our situation worse? That's what our passage is about tonight. And the answer that the passage gives, the answer that God gives for his people, is that we can trust God when he seems to be making our situation worse when we see that God's promises stand forever and that his greatest promise is to be present with us. So his promises stand forever and his greatest promise is that he will be with us. Um, So first of all, I want to look at the idea of God's promises standing forever. At the end of our passage in verse 8, God says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Um, what he's, so he's drawing on history there. You know, we, went, we kind of gave the background of the story, and God's drawing on hundreds of years of history, drawing back to the time where he promised Abraham, I'm going to give you the land. And what he's communicating to Moses and to the people of Israel is that this isn't a new plan. Like, I am not hitting the reset button at this point because of, anything bad that's happened, like slavery or anything like that. Like, I'm not scrambling right now wondering what I'm going to do. This is not a new plan. This is the same plan that there always has been. Um, centuries have gone by since God promised to bring Abraham and his descendants to the promised land. Uh, and they're now in slavery in Egypt, but God's promises still stand. What does that show us? I think what we need to remember for our situations is that God's timing does not coincide with our timing. And his idea of whatever hardships he thinks we need to endure along the way uh, don't always coincide with how much we think that we can take. Think about, have you ever pumped up a tire like have you ever gone to a service station and filled up your tire like a bike tire or your tire on your car Uh, when I do that typically what I do is I fill it to what 
seems to me to be like full. And then if you check the pressure, it's like nowhere near full. Like the tire can hold like a ton more air than what you think the manufacturer specifies. You can like see it on the tire. If you look closely, how much air is supposed to be in there. And then so when you go back to fill it up to what it's supposed to be, like it's getting really full. And if you're like me, you're kind of like, oh, like is this thing going to blow up in my face? Um, God's calling on his people to remember that he's the manufacturer that decides how much his people can take. And it's usually a lot more than we want to take. Um, if you're being stretched beyond, if, if, as you pursue God, as you follow God, as, if, as you inquire about God, if you're being stretched beyond what you think you can take, what that means, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. In fact, it might mean that something's right with you. Uh, if you're f- following God and you don't feel like you're being stretched, then maybe that is something that's wrong with you. But uh, it's a normal part of being God's people to be stretched beyond what we think we can take. Um, and so when we feel stretched by God beyond what we think we can take, we typically tend to do what Margot does in the doctor's office, which is flail around. Don't mind the salsa music. Um, flailing around, you know, resisting. What does that look like for us in our situations? I think it looks like running away from God and from the church when things get really hard. So, like, in the times where you actually need to be around people that also are uh, pursuing God and when you need to be around community, uh, we retreat from it instead. Uh, Another thing it can look like is turning to our favorite little pet sins that we do to make ourselves feel good just because we're like, you know, my life is a mess. All I want to do is feel good today. Um, It could look like avoiding reality by escaping into things like uh, three hours worth of YouTube videos or something like that. All these are ways that we avoid Uh, dealing with the fact that we're being stretched or we avoid where God wants to take us. Um, And to trust God, it means always looking at his promises, always looking into the past and into the future. Um, Looking into the past means looking at his word, looking at what God has done among his people uh, to bring them to where they are. And, you know, if you think about your own story, looking back is always helpful to realize, like, oh, things have been hard before. God has carried me through before. Maybe he can carry me through again. Um, And also looking into the future, uh, because God has promises that still apply to us today. You know, the Bible promises for today that there will be a day when evil is taken care of once and for all. Uh, There will be a day when tears and crying and pain are no more. There will be a day when the world flourishes again. That's a promise that God gives uh, for us today. Uh, But as the passage goes on, what we get to see is that God's greatest promise is his presence with his people. Um, In verse 7, he says, I'll take you to be my people and I will be your God. It's this great promise. Like, you're going to be close to me. Being my people means that I'm going to be present with you. Um, He talks about his own name in verse 3, and he says, you know, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob 
as God Almighty, but I didn't make myself known to them by my personal name, the Lord. Uh, whenever you see the Lord in all caps like that in your Bible, that's talking about the actual name that God asks his people to call him Yahweh uh, in Hebrew. Uh, he makes himself known personally, and he keeps on saying over and over, he says it like three times, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. And what that's communicating is like, you have access to me because you know my name. You know, if, you're, if you know someone's name, it gives you access to them. It's a greater intimacy. I have a friend from college who is kind of like a very, very minor celebrity, very minor, but he kind of rolls with some cool people. He's lived in New York and L.A., and now he's living, moving back to New York. And uh, sometimes I'll talk to him and ask him who he hangs, like, you know, what have you been up to? And uh, one time I asked him, like, you know, what did you do last night? And he said, I went out with some people. And this was in New York. And I was like, well, who was there? And he was naming some people. And he was like, Mayer was there. And, and I was like, you know, John Mayer? And he was like, yeah. I was like, you call John Mayer Mayer? Like, you, that's what you call him? And what that shows, what is that, like, I don't call him mayor, I call him John Mayer, like the rest of us, because we don't know him. Uh, but when you know someone, you know their, the name they go by, and it, what it means is you have access to them. Um, one person put it like this, they said, I am the Lord, when God says, I am the Lord, like that, all caps, Lord, it invites God's people, Israel, to say, I have a connection to him. I know him the creator of the world. I know him personally. He's not just any God. He's mine. If you are here tonight and you're a Christian, when was the last time you thought about the fact that God was present with you always? Uh, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, what you need to see about the God of the Bible is that he is a personal God and what he, the goal of history for God is to draw his people to himself and to be with them. Um, we can trust God because his promises stand forever and because of this great promise which stands forever, which is that he will be present with us. But we need to kind of pause here for a second because how does the passage end? It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Um, their circumstances were too much for them. So they got the good news, they got the promise, they were reassured of the promises, and it wasn't enough for them because the slavery, their situation was too hard. Um, if you fast forward through the Old Testament, what you'll find is that God's people, you know, they are brought out of slavery, but as they wander toward the promised land, their situation is too hard, and so they rebel against God continually. Even when they get into the promised land, they're still disobedient to God. Uh, they were re reassured of his promises and that they had God's presence uh, but it wasn't enough for them. And so the big question for us is, well, how are we supposed to do any better? 
know, it didn't work for them. It doesn't seem to have really worked for them. How could it work for me in the difficulty that I face as I seek to follow God? Um, maybe you're thinking, you know, I know in my head that the promises are there. Like, I, this makes sense to me. The promises that God, you know, that God wants to be present with me, that he's promised to be present. But, you know, it's not sinking into my heart. It's just too hard not to flail around when life gets difficult and God feels like he's abandoning me. Um, And the solution, the way to move forward, is to look at what this story actually points us to. Um, What this story points us to is a much greater exodus. Um, The greater exodus was accomplished by a man that not only told us that God was with us, but he actually was God with us. Uh, Some people call him Emmanuel. Uh, We know him as Jesus. And he was actually the one that Moses spoke to in Egypt. He is, you know, when it says the Lord, what it's talking about is the, the one who would eventually become the man, Jesus. And... When Jesus walked on the earth and when he lived among his disciples and taught, he talked about his departure and the fact that he would head to the cross. And when he talked about that, he called it his exodus. And when he started to talk about his exodus among his disciples, his departure, he immediately started to head toward Jerusalem where he would be put to death on behalf of his people. He headed straight to the cross. And he did it because at our core, we are like these people in this story who in verse 9 do not listen because of our circumstances. You know, when we read about these people not trusting God, we should say, that is me. That is us. I can't, it's too much for me to believe these high, lofty promises about God. Um... we tend to flail around. And Jesus accomplished his exodus not because we were enslaved in a country like these people are, but he did it because we all have this same problem, which is that we cannot trust God. We cannot believe that God is good to us or that he only has our good in mind. And so what happens, the way that God ultimately fixes us and fixes our world is that he sends Jesus to trust for us. And trusting God, trusting God the Father, where it took Jesus was straight to the cross. Where the most horrible circumstances were unleashed on him. Um, And Jesus trusted for us and he paid the price for our rebellion and he had plenty of opportunities to flail around along the way. And he had plenty of opportunities to resist or flail as nails were going into his body, as he was getting whipped and beaten and ridiculed. He had plenty of opportunities to back out. But instead, Jesus trusted for us. Instead, rather than flailing around, Jesus holds still. He submits to the will of the Father because we cannot do it on our own. 
And that's what epitomizes God being with us. When that's the God that you know, and when that's, like when we talk about God being present with us, we should think of that God. When that God is present with you, then you'll be transformed into a person that refuses to flail around. And you'll be transformed into a person that says, you know, that promise still holds true for me. Because of that promise, I will walk wherever God calls me to go, no matter how foolish I look, or no matter how bad it might feel. We'll become people that hold steadfastly to the promises of God. Um, That's what God wants to make us into. God wants to make us into people that can trust. And uh, he accomplishes it here in our passage, but the ultimate accomplishment of it comes at the cross. Um, Through what happens on the cross, we can trust. Uh, Let's close by praying that God would uh, make that true in our lives. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are so much like these people that uh, are in our passage, these Israelites that uh, find that our circumstances are too much for us and the last thing that makes sense to do is obey you or follow you or go where you're taking us uh, rather than finding our own path or uh, doing what feels right in the moment. Uh, But we pray that you, by your grace, Uh, through uh, the work of Jesus, make us people that can trust, uh, that can go where you're calling us to go, and ultimately that we would know uh, this presence, uh, your presence with us as we go. Pray that you'd make that true in our lives, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.